Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a theological and devotional walk through the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. I am your host, Sam Waldron, pastor of Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Owensboro, Kentucky, and president of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Today we'll be considering the subject of God and the Holy Trinity once more. This is actually our seventh and last talk on that, and particularly we're going to deal with the subject of the Trinity spoken about in paragraph three of the Confession. Paragraph three and the confessional treatment of the doctrine of the Trinity ends with these words. Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him? For our Baptist forefathers, the doctrine of the Trinity was anything but mysterious and difficult with little practical application to daily life. No, rather, it was crucial to our communion with God and comfort in God. No passage in all the Bible shows this so richly as 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Hear the devout blessing of the apostles that the Corinthian believers would know as a matter of ongoing practical experience, communion with each of the three persons of the Trinity in their distinct actings for their salvation. He wants the distinct acts of the three persons of the Trinity to be, as he says, with you all. This blessing also implies that this is his wish for them, his prayer for them, and yes, his prediction for them. Please consider the distinct works of the three persons of the Trinity and the riches of this Trinitarian blessing for believers. First, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul speaks of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have far to look to discover specifically what he is talking about. In this very letter, he has given perhaps the best and fullest exposition of what he means. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is a famous text, and deservedly so, and it reads, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ focuses our attention on that wonderful condescension and compassion, that glorious humility and kindness that made the Lord of glory willing to stoop down and die an accursed death in our place so that we might come to share in the glory that he possessed with his Father before the beginning of the world. This, of course, reminds us of the wonderful passage in John 17, 3-5. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify, glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So, the grace of the Lord Jesus is his wonderful personal virtue and quality of kind condescension, compassion and humility, or merciful submission. It is this glorious personal characteristic that made him willing to come down from glory, to die in our place and for our sins. This quality, this grace, is nothing less than divine and majestic. It is a glorious personal virtue. Paul wants us to know and find this person with this virtue a blessing. He wants us to live in its light, live in its presence. He wants it to be with us. 
He wants us to live in intimate contact with this grace. He wants us to have present with us Christ as the one who accomplished our salvation in such condescension. But then he speaks of the love of God. In this context, when Paul speaks of God, he means, of course, God the Father. The original makes this clear because literally Paul speaks of the love of the God. The presence of the article before God tells us that Paul is thinking in personal terms of the Father. In John 1.1, the words the God are a reference to the person of God the Father. John 1.1 literally reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the God, and the Word was God. So the reference is to God the Father in our text, and is clearly a reference to him in light of parallel passages. When Paul speaks of the love of the God, that is to say God the Father, very much is comprehended. The key text which tells us so much about what we are to think of when we think of the love of God the Father is Ephesians 1, 3-5, which reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless, holy before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Paul traces the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ on that cross on Golgotha up to the love of God the Father. He begins with the work of Christ and traces it back to the work of God the Father. Here we learn that it's the peculiar work of the Father in salvation to plan or author it. He is the one who chooses or elects us that we should be holy. He is the one who in love predestined us to adoption as sons. Uh, he, He loves us in his predestination. He loves us in his adoption. It is out of the heart and love of God the Father, ultimately, that salvation springs. He sends the Son and Spirit to save us. They come willingly. They love us too and love us in and with the Father. But Paul's doctrine of the Trinity allows him to specify the loving Father as the elector and predestiner and the adopter of the saved. Paul wants us to live with a sense of the presence of that love of God who chose us to be saved and adopted us into his family. He wants us to experience more and more the unconditional sovereign love of the Father. He wants us to have present with us the Father as the author of salvation. But then in the third place, he speaks of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In the third stage of this Trinitarian blessing, Paul, having traced salvation up to the Father, brings it all the way down to us and speaks of how God the Holy Spirit works in us. When Paul focuses on the third person of the Trinity, he speaks of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The word fellowship is the common Greek word koinonia, found frequently in the New Testament. The word means partnership, partaking, or participation. The fellowship of the Spirit is partnership with us and participation in us. Romans 8.2 speaks of the Spirit of God as the life giver, the one who gives us spiritual life. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, Paul says, from the law of sin and of death. The fellowship of the Spirit speaks of the Spirit as the one who actually renews us, indwells us, makes us holy, 
and assures us of our good standing with God. The Bible calls him the spirit of truth, the spirit of life, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of wisdom, and the spirit of adoption, working salvation in us subjectively, inwardly, and personally is the work of the Spirit. This is the rich grace and peculiar work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Paul describes it here as the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul wishes for the Corinthian believers the increasing presence of the Holy Spirit in these his special works. He wants us to have present with us the Spirit as the applier of salvation. My hope and prayer for you is the same as that of the Apostle. May you live in the practical presence of the peculiar saving works of each of the three persons of the Trinity. May you experience the richness of your Trinitarian salvation. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.